Hello and welcome to Chaplain's Word of the Day. I'm Chaplain Otis Corbett and I invite you to come along with me as we explore God's Word so that we can be inspired, challenged, and comforted together. Hello, I'm Otis Corbett, and today I want to share a word about humility as I comment on 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. This passage reads, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I suppose we've all done and said cringe-worthy things in the past. And I remember two specific occasions when I was in school that caused me to feel embarrassed even today. The first time I remember sticking my foot in my mouth, I was in elementary school. I have a long history of putting my foot in my mouth. In any case, a schoolmate had brought a gift for another girl in my class for her birthday. Now this gift was an humble one. It was a small multi-pack of Lifesavers candy. And when I made fun of that gift, foolishly made fun of that gift, the birthday girl turned to me and said, Hey, wait a minute. At least she thought enough of me to bring a present. That's a lot more than you did. And at that retort, I sputtered and stuttered and slunk away, firmly put into my place. Uh, years later, another embarrassing moment happened in my school career, and this was when I was a senior in high school. I told you I have a long history of these things. I was asked to lead the Pledge of Allegiance during our school spring awards program. And during the rehearsal for that event, I stepped to the microphone and said nonchalantly, well, we all know the Pledge of Allegiance, so we don't need to say it now. I then turned on my heel and sat down on my chair in the platform. Well, that evening, when hundreds of students and their parents had gathered in the school gym, I confidently stepped up to the microphone and began, Our Father, who are... Amazingly, everyone in the gym started to repeat the Lord's Prayer along with me, that is, until I burst out into nervous laughter. After I regained my poise, I was able to finish my assigned task, and then, thoroughly embarrassed, I slunk away to my chair on the platform. And I felt sure that everyone was staring at me for the rest of the night. I'm, I'm sure that wasn't the case, but I felt that way. You see, these types of events will keep one humble although it would have been less embarrassing for me had I followed the counsel given to us in James 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Paul, who is the author of our text for today and a fellow leader of the early church with James, would also agree with this because he learned this lesson too, and like me, he learned it the hard way. You see, Paul began in arrogance. 
Paul did not begin his walk with Jesus in natural humility. In fact, before he was confronted by Christ on the Damascus Road, he would have said he had a lot to brag about, because this is what he wrote to the church at Philippi. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is the law, which is in the law, blameless. Philippians 3 verses 4 through 6. Now, from these and other passages in the New Testament, we know that Paul had not only been a Pharisee, but he was also the son of a Pharisee. He had also been taught at the feet of the noted Jewish scholar and lawyer Gamaliel, and humanly, Paul had reason to consider himself special. He had been brought up to think of himself to be smarter and more righteous than other people, and he embraced that sentiment wholeheartedly. He was arrogant. But then he met Jesus face to face. And that's when Paul got his comeuppance. As many qualifications and character qualities as Paul had, he found that he was nothing when compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 9 tells us how Paul, after he had not deigned to get his hands dirty at the stoning of Stephen, acquired a license from the rulers of the Jews to go and hunt Christians. As he was heading to Damascus, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, Jesus met him on the way. And when Jesus met him, Paul was thrown to the ground and blinded, and he was verbally rebuked by Christ. Luke, Paul's companion and the author of Acts, tells us what happened next. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Paul, who was then called Saul, had met Jesus, and in an instant, he went from the role of an avenging angel to the role of helpless invalid. Now, this kind of rebuke makes my embarrassing moments in school pale in comparison. And from this rebuke, Paul learned true humility. You see, after the Damascus Road experience and after being discipled by Barnabas, Paul came to realize that all the things about himself that he thought were important, all those things that he had been told made him special, all those things in which he had invested his pride and personal worth, all of those things were actually worthless. He realized that instead of being, a, uh, being righteous, that he had been conceived in sin. He realized that instead of being visionary and smart, that he was actually blind and ignorant. He realized that instead of being zealous for God, he was actually a blasphemer. His entire life was turned upside down. In fact, before he met Christ, his entire life was a lie. But once Paul came face to face with the reality of his spiritual condition without Christ, he was never the same again. His human arrogance was gone, and it was replaced by the humility that comes from meeting Jesus in a personal way. And this is apparent in all of his epistles, such as the book of Romans, where in chapter 3 he stated flatly, As it is written, 
There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. And again, in Romans 3, 23, he stated, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In saying these truths about sin in, in Romans and other books of the New Testament, Paul was not merely shaking an accusing finger at others. No, he knew that he was also a sinner, saved only by the grace of God. In fact, far from being a proud Pharisee, Paul now called himself the chief of all sinners. So what would Paul's counsel to us be? Well, if Paul was with us today, I believe he would be quite assertive in telling us two important facts for our lives. Not just two important facts, two vital facts, two crucial facts. He would say, first, because none of us are righteous, we must all turn to Christ for our salvation and for forgiveness of our sins. This is the most important decision we can ever make, and choosing Christ above all else is the only way to have a right relationship with God and to secure our eternal destiny. That process, of course, begins with realizing that we are spiritually, morally, and intellectually bankrupt, but also realizing that God, through Jesus, is glad to enrich us in all those areas if we will only bow our will to His. Second, once we have trusted Christ with our salvation and with our future, Paul would also remind us of this. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. Like diligence and self-control and service, humility is not an exciting value. That is until you fail to exercise it. Then things can get out of control fast. That's what Paul would tell us today. He would tell us to humble ourselves before God does that task for us. Before I go, let me share my new book with you. Seminary taught me to be a pastor, but the Army taught me to be a leader. I would like to share how God melded those two skill sets in my new book, Decently and in Order. It's available now on Amazon in paperback and on Kindle. If you want to know more about effectively leading teams and events, check out Decently and in Order on Amazon.com. I believe you will find it eye-opening and helpful. That's Decently and in Order by Otis Corbett. Thanks for taking a look. Thanks for listening. I'll be back soon with another portion of God's Word that we can consider together. Every blessing, I'm Chaplain Otis Corbett.